0: All right, good evening, everybody. We'll be in Exodus, and I think, what is it, 14, 15, 14. I did study. In fact, Aaron was so impressed that I gave him my notes at 2 o'clock this afternoon. He says, man, you're on fire. So, I know, way ahead, way ahead of the game today. Let's pray before we get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together as a family in you. Um, to study, to know more about you, to draw closer to you. And your, your word always promises us that as we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. And that's, that's the best thing ever. I pray the same for the kids in their classrooms, that, uh, as the teachers share your word and the lesson that you placed on their hearts to give out to these little hearts, that as those little kids draw near to you, that you'd draw near to them, that they'd know you and know that you're there. And, uh, Just fall more in love with you like we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A couple announcements. I'm kind of excited. We had our post-camp meeting and went over some things, things we can improve on. We did secure the camp out at Mazingo uh, for August 4th through the 7th, so those will be our dates for 2021. I know it's early, but I'm excited that we got them, okay? Uh, It's exactly what we wanted, and it was available, and so we, we took it. Along with that, I contacted the University for Moera, which usually takes a while for them to respond. And the next day he says, yep, August 6th um, is all yours. I've scheduled the whole thing. So we got trap shooting and the uh, the ropes course and all. So that's set along with all the canoes. I mean, it just went smooth as silk. And so I'm really happy about that. So I'm looking forward to that now. Um, so be planning for that next year. Um, be thinking about that now uh, as far as how you can help or how you can participate and, and making arrangements to do that, because I tell you, it's just such a blessing to minister to those kids. We have such a great time, and I know the kids will have a blast too. So uh, just keep that on the forefront of your mind there if you can, or, and, and definitely in prayer as we plan the rest of it. So other things going on, uh, we'll send out the email, or I think it already went out this week. Uh, take a look at that, and that'll let you know the things that are coming up uh, pretty quick in the next few weeks. Chapter 14 of Exodus, they cross the Red Sea. Very exciting chapter. Most of us know it. We've all heard of it or watched a movie about it or uh, colored a coloring page in Sunday school about it or whatever. But uh, last week was really important to understand and to remember before we get into this 14 that God has set up a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke to lead them through the place and to the place that he's promised them. God always starts off with declaring what he's going to do, and then he does it. And he always, always is faithful to do it. Always. And he gives us uh, moment after moment, situation after situation through scriptures to show us, I said I was going to do it, and then I did it. Just so we get that pattern in our minds. Because we're going to have to walk with the Lord. And he's going to tell us and give us promises for our lives. And we have to really believe him because he's going to fulfill those promises. He told the disciples, I can see that you're upset. I see that you're sad that I'm going away. But if I don't go away, that's going to be unprofitable for you that I don't go away. Because if I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I return, I'm going to take you to that place. So it's good that I'm going and he wanted them to know that and still, and they didn't get it. They heard him say the words, but you know how people are when, when, when you're talking to them and they're already thinking about what they want to say next, you're tuned out. They're not hearing you anymore. They're just waiting for you to get done. Mm-hmm, 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 yeah. And then they jump into the conversation with what they've been wanting. They didn't hear a word you said. And oftentimes with the disciples, that's how it was. Guys, why are you fighting about who's the greatest? Don't you know that the least in the kingdom of God is the greatest? you got to serve all in order to be the greatest. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but really, who's the greatest? (laughs) Okay, you know. God sets them up. Before they even walk out of Egypt, I'm going to take you to a place, and let me describe it to you. It's a place of milk and honey. It's a place of peace. It'll be your place. You'll have your own vines, your own uh, fig trees. You're going to have your own property. It's exciting. No more working for other people. No more lands given or, or that you have to raise stuff on for other people. And you get to keep a portion of it, but they get the rest of it. No, no more of that. It's your own, own place. And I'm going to be there. And I'm going to dwell there with you. And it's going to be exciting. It's the promised land. That's why it's called that. I promised it, God says. I promise you this land. And when God makes a promise, you can swear by no one higher than him. And he says, I promise you that's your land. That's something you can take to the bank. And he wants him to. And so he tells him that ahead of time. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to take you there. Now follow me. I'll never tell you to go someplace that I don't go first. Jesus walked a walk on this earth for three and a half years of his ministry obviously growing up in this world, always doing and and participating in the things that we all have to go through. He went through adolescence. He went through puberty. He went through all of those stages. And he did it without sin. And he wanted to show us, this is what it looks like to walk after the Father. This is what it looks like to bring glory to him with your life a life of obedience. This is what it looks like. And if I can do it by the power of the Holy Spirit, so can you. So, he takes the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He has shown his hand to be strong. He struck them with ten separate plagues to show that he is the God, the only God that anybody in this world ever has to deal with. I can take care of all ten of the Egyptian gods. Watch this. Bam, bam, bam. Now, he's only got one God left, and that's Pharaoh. Pharaoh considered himself to be deity, and they all considered that. Of course, I imagine most of the folks around him kind of wondered about that as times because you can claim to be deity, but your your nature shows itself. There's one more he's got to deal with. But I'm going to take you out of there. Now remember, Egypt represents the world. Pharaoh represents Satan. Moses represents Jesus. He's the deliverer, and he's delivered them from Egypt. And they've walked out in an orderly manner with all of the goods, with all the gold, with all the silver. The Egyptians just gave it to them. They walked out. They didn't have to scurry, run, hide, sneak They boldly walked out of Egypt by the hand of their deliverer. That's happened. But he's got a bunch of slaves. He's got a bunch of people that have been told for 400 years what to do, when to do it, prison, basically. You're going to get up. You're going to go to the bathroom. You're done going to the bathroom. You're going to take a shower. Now you're done taking a shower. Now you're going to eat. Now you're going to eat. Now you're going to work. Now Now he's going to teach them what it's like to be self-governed to have choices, and to make the right choices. I mean, this is no different than any other convict that has to get out of prison, has to be trained, if you've been in there for any amount of time, what it's like to have free will again, to have your choices back again. No one's going to make you do anything anymore. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to make the decisions in your life. And don't make the bad decisions that cause you to end up in Egypt. i got to train them to trust me, to follow me, to walk after me. He doesn't drive them from behind. He leads them from in front, and they willingly follow. Verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi-ha-hiroth, uh, between Migdal and the sea. Two landmarks, obviously. Opposite Baal-zaphon. And you shall camp before it by the sea. If you look at the Topography. They're coming out of Egypt this way. I'll do it this way so you can see kind of the map. Egypt's here. Israel's here, the promised land. They're going to go through this place. The Red Sea's right here, and they're going to come around kind of through Sinai and all that, but eventually come across the Jordan River. But we got to get to the east side of the Jordan River. So he's taking them out. Now he's along this Red Sea. On this side are mountains and mountains and mountains and mountains, and then there's gaps, you know, where you can get to the sea. He's taken them to one of those gaps. So on your left-hand side, there's a bunch of mountains. On your right-hand side, there's a bunch of mountains. Right here is the sea, and you're kind of blocked in. Bad tactical move. But God does it on purpose. He says, I'm going to take you to this place right before the sea, for Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. I emphasize those words on purpose. He says, I want to do this so that I gain honor over Pharaoh, because they still honored Pharaoh over God. I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all of his army that, for a purpose, the Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord. I want the rest of the world to know. Remember, Israel isn't the only ones he wants saved. He wants to deliver everybody in the world from worshiping these other gods. Not just Israel, but he had to choose somebody. Here's what it looks like Okay, I'm going to set my love upon Israel. That's what the Bible says. I set my love upon them, not because they're great, not because they're mighty. I just set my love upon them. I chose somebody. And now I'm going to show you what it's like for me to be their God, and they're going to show you what it's like for them to be my people. And we're going to walk this walk that the world may know what it looks like to worship me. But I've got to get this honor. In the obedience, in following God, in doing what God's asked you to do, we bring honor to him. The rest of the world sees you and sees me walking with the Lord as Christians, and they see that, that you're giving honor to him, and it causes them to look up. Now, as a Christian, as I walk, I don't do it right all the time, obviously. I make mistakes. I sin. I blow my witness. Maybe that's a better way to put it because I want a witness. I want the world to see what it's like for me to be governed by God, but sometimes I don't let myself be governed by God. But for the most part, I'm supposed to be governed by God. The world sees that and they see, ah, okay, so that's what it looks like. And it brings him honor. When I, as a Christian, say that the love of my life, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for my sins, and then I don't live like I care, or I live like there is no gratitude in my heart, it decreases honor. It takes honor away from the Lord. It's like, oh, well, you're no better than anybody else. You're no different. You act like everybody, why would I need this God that you have if this is what it looks like, kind of thing. It decreases his honor. God does this on purpose. God has promised the nation of Israel, remember, all throughout this first chapter, this first paragraph here, he said nothing about them. He's just taken them on his route to get to the promised land. Nothing's changed in the promise. You're going to go to the promised land. I'm going to lead you. No harm's going to come to you. Everything's going to be fine. And that's where their mind needs to be. That's where their heart needs to be. But I'm doing a work in your path so that the rest of the world might come to me. I'm going to take you to this place so that he says you're bewildered, but you shouldn't be bewildered. I'm going to take you to this place so that he thinks he's got the upper hand. And I'm going to gain honor over him as I do this amazing work. I'm taking you to a tough spot to where I'm going to have to be your defense. You should stand there boldly and watch me be your defense. And he will be humbled in the process. And hopefully bring Egyptians to know me. Guys, that's our walk with the Lord. Now, at first, we're a lot like the nation of Israel. When we first get saved, we kind of fret about everything. You know, I don't know. I trusted in God. I got baptized. I think I'm still saved. I'm not so sure today. And we wonder and we fret and we wonder. And God's like, you're still good. I'm just trying to. But as you get older, we ought to start walking around like some of these Old Testament prophets who come out of their hermit cave once in a while and say, yeah, I guess God wants to talk to everybody. Repent. And then goes back into his cave. Totally bold. What do you mean repent? You old coot. You're nobody no rain, see you guys later, goes back into his cave. Just that boldness of a believer, someone who absolutely knows for sure that God has got them in his hand, that everything I do is going to be fine. I'm, I'm here to serve him, makes no difference about myself or where I am or whether I live in a cave or not, who cares. But I, I'm here to serve him. I want to get to that place that after 30 years of walking with Jesus Christ, I'm like that old prophet what do you want me to do? All right. You know, and step out. You think about some of these Old Testament prophets who, remember when they were caught in the city? Much like this situation, you're caught between a, a rock and a hard place. They were in the city. And the, and the, the prophet's servant was like, what are we going to do? They have surrounded us. They're building a siege against us. And the old prophet was not concerned in the least. And he simply said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And as God opened the servant's eyes, this, this humble little guy who's just walking with the Lord and trying to follow the prophet opens his eyes and he sees the chariots of the army of the Lord that were invisible prior. And he shows this army surrounding them and he says, oh, woe is them. Not woe is us, woe is them. But the old prophet knew it the whole time. Let him see what I see. That's where we old saints come in handy the young saints need us, old saints, to be showing that walk. Not only are we witnessing to the world, but we old saints that have been walking for a while ought to be like, cancer? <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, I guess I'm going to ministering to the guys at oncology. And there's a nurse over here that doesn't know the Lord, and that's fine because I don't count my life dear to myself. None of these things move me we got to get to that place as old season saints. Now, some of the young folks are like, you know, but they need to watch us old season saints walk that walk like a couple old prophets coming out of a cave. Keep that in your mind the rest of your life. Imagine your beard down to your knees, and if you're a female, your hair down to your toes, and you kind of come out after crunching on some locusts and honey. Just keep that in mind, you know. That's us. I need to teach them to trust me. I'm going to put them in a place where I'm going to have to defend them or they're going to have to feel the defense. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's the point. Let people see your good works that God might get glory through this. John 5, 22 through 23, For the Father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son, that all should honor the son just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. We bring honor. Jesus showed us that, taught us that. And he says, now I want you to be sons and daughters of the most high God. I want you to bring honor to God like I brought honor to God. And how did Jesus bring honor to God? By believing him. and Walking in obedience to him. Now, It was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot, took his people with him. Also, he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. Don't forget that. And that's how they started. You know? So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pi ha before baal Safan. Teachable moment. This is a teachable moment. God is always looking for teachable moments. He doesn't want us as Christians to have normal, boring lives. I know that's what we want. Oh, I just want to be saved and live a quiet, humble life, which he does say in Scripture that we should live a peaceable life, kind of humble, quiet to ourselves. But if he's got someone that wants to walk by faith, that wants to be used by him, Guys, we're living in crazy times right now, crazy great times. Everybody's like, oh, I don't know. When's everything going to settle down? It's not going to. It's never going to settle down. Things are going to get worse and worse and worse. I don't mean to rejoice over things getting worse. I don't. Our prayer in the Father's prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy will be done. I I drew a blank. I'm pulling a Biden... Um, our, our, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Finish it. I, you know the thing. I got to repent of all the things I said about him over the last you just, you just, You just did it. Okay. Cognitive test coming my way. Your, your will is done in heaven. I want it done here on earth. That's my prayer. I want your will to be done on earth. Now, Satan doesn't want God's will to be done on earth. But I do. So when I say these things are going to get worse and worse, that's only because I've read the Bible and I know how things turn out. I've read the end of the book. The prophecies about how things are all going to unfold, and they are. The significance of the peace accord that was just struck between Israel and the U.S down the, the 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 crescent, the whole it's amazing. It's biblical, it's Ezekiel 38, it's being laid out and prepared. I mean, just a few years ago, it was the opposite. Those that the Bible said were going to come against Israel were their best friends. And everybody's going, well, this isn't lining up like scripture. And in a matter of two years, it just flipped. That those who were enemies are now friends, just like the Bible said they were going to be. And those who were uh Friends are now enemies, just like the Bible said it was going to be. We're set up for Ezekiel 38, that battle. And so when I say this, I'm excited because that means Jesus is coming very, very soon. The rapture is going to happen at any moment. We have no idea. We may not even make it through this week before the rapture takes place. If this night, to be taken home to be with the Lord, those who trust in Jesus. Those who don't, man, hold on because you're in for a seven-year great tribulation a time of which the world has never seen before. Read Revelation 6 through 19. That's what's coming. So when I get excited and smile, I know that we live in times that most of the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints wished they had lived in. Oh, my goodness. It's really happening. Paul was so excited. The New Testament church was like, I think it's going to happen tomorrow. This is great. And they sold other stuff, and they lived in a commune, and pretty soon, wait a minute, it ain't happening as fast as we thought it was going to happen. And they ran out of money. Everybody had to go back to work. But I want you to keep living, they said, like it's going to happen tomorrow, because you never know. It could happen any time. And we live in times where prophecies are... Being set up, the Ezekiel thirty-eight battle is going to take place. We'll probably see it before the rapture happens. We'll see this all happen. It's exciting. It's not the, it's not the Megiddo battle. This is a different battle. But so I get excited to know that I live in a time where I could either be mealy-mouthed and milk-toast and spineless and talk about let's just all you know go to church and sing Kumbaya and say although Kumbaya is a great song, we're going to sing it at camp from now on. We don't want to be known for, I don't want to be a passive Christian. I don't want to be passive. I don't want to sit around and wait for it to happen. Man, I do not want to be sitting on my couch, and I'm there more than I probably should be, and get raptured off my cushion, you know? This would be a great time, wouldn't it? Where were you when the rapture happened? In church, where I'm supposed to be, you know, kind of thing. Just dodged the ceiling and got out of here, and it's going to happen. It's coming. It's a teachable moment. The Egyptians think they have the upper hand. The world thinks they've trapped those foolish people, these Israelites, that they just should have never let go. We want our servants back. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 says, Behold, look, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Gives the church that authority. Sends out these disciples by twos and says, I want you to go out there and minister, and I want you to know you have this power also at the same time. Don't be worrying about your health. Be talking about Jesus with everybody you know. Tell them. Acts chapter 18, verses 9 9 through 10. Now, the Lord spoke to Paul in a night by vision. This is when he was scared to death and In Corinth wasn't sure if they were going to beat him to death there again. He's getting tired of being beat down. You can understand his position. Jesus comes alongside of him and says, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Now, that isn't a promise all the time for Paul, but he needed a break. And God says, I see that. I'll give you a break here. And he stayed there a year and a half, longest place he ever stayed. I'll stay here. No one's going to hurt me here? That's right. I'm going to buy a house. You know? I'm not moving on. It got old getting beat down. Give him a break. God gives the nation of Israel this. I told you I'm going to take you from here to there. My route, my choice. This is the way it's going to be. I want to go this way. But this, but this looks impossible. So did a billion frogs coming out of the Nile sound impossible. So did the entire red or the whole uh, Nile becoming blood? That was impossible too. It's what I do. God says, "I do the impossible." I like to show in my hand sometimes that I don't, I'm not bound by your laws of creation because I made those laws of creation. I can step outside of those and do stuff that shows me to be the creator, so that you know that you don't worship the thing I created, but the one that created those things. I like the impossible. God says. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. That's a prayer, right? But look what they do right after they pray. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And their first obstacle, physical obstacle that they see. It's not even a spiritual one. Just a physical body of water, some mountains, and a, a, a bunch of crazy people that God has beaten up 10 other times before, saying, We're going to really get you this time. And their thought is, this is it. The 11th time is a charm. No. No, I'm going to do to them like I've done 10 other times. I showed you 10 times in Egypt how I can defeat the world. Okay? You you applied the blood of the lamb to the outside of your doorposts of your home. You're completely protected from the angel of death. Now, I've delivered you after you believed me and applied that blood. As a Christian, we believe on Jesus. We trust him. We apply the blood of his Death on the cross for our sins, and we walk out with the deliverer. What makes you think now that I've done this great work at the cross, Jesus says, that I'm going to leave you to flounder and die now that you're following me? Somehow or another, as Christians, we get it in our mind well, this is it. I'm going to be the guy that blows God's witness, and for the first time in history, he's not going to be able to keep his word. I think we should say that out loud. The next time I am worried or scared about the situation that I'm in and God has to be my deliverer, that I need to say this out loud with my doubt, God, you're going to blow it. You're finally going to blow it. It it hasn't happened yet, but this will be the first time in history that you've blown it. And I think that will snap us out of our ridiculous thoughts. Of course he's not going to blow it. He's never blown it. He's never not fulfilled his promises. He's never accompli- not accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish. He's never, ever, ever not kept a promise. He always does. But not this time, they said. Didn't we tell you it had been better? To say- well, I don't remember that. <laughs> Maybe they said it. It's just not documented. I don't remember him once saying, hey, just leave us alone. We're enjoying the slavery here. Got choices. I was thinking about at this time um, the cross, and Jesus was flanked by two criminals, and we remember those guys. And while they're all three on the cross there, Jesus in the center, one on his left, one on his right, one's mocking him, actually on the cross, dying on the cross, joining the crowd, mocking Jesus. But the other guy on the other side says, I'm not with all these people. I completely believe you. Please remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, surely you're going to be in the kingdom with me today. He had two guys in the exact same situation. It's a choice. It's absolutely a choice. And it's it's beyond me how the guy on the left could actually decide to follow the crowd and say, yeah, yeah. You're dying, man. That's really the last thing you want to say? Mm-hmm. He says, yeah. In Psalm 106, verses 7 through 10, our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. This is the psalmist writing about this very situation later on. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea. And the Red Sea. This little thing we just read, God considers rebellion. The fact, they're not running back to Egypt. They're not even moving. They're just complaining about where they are and how God is not going to be faithful. And God calls that rebellion. It's that simple. I like to make rebellion a lot worse than what it really is. Rebellion is, rebellion is simply me not believing God at his word. That's Rebellion. Nevertheless, even though they were in rebellion, verse 8, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. Spoiler alert. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. He did everything he said he was going to do despite their unbelief. Now, Um, their choice. Remember what I said? God is going to be honored. God will be glorified. And he wants us to be a part of it and puts us in situations just like Egypt was in this situation. The Egyptians had a choice. We could either stand with God and be honored with him and glorified with him. By standing there saying, oh, man, you guys shouldn't have followed us between these two mountains. You think, woe was us? No, 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 woe was you. Or they can freak out and panic and scurry. Every time God puts me in a tough spot where I have to trust in him in this world, I have that decision to make. Well, I stand beside him in full confidence that he's going to fulfill his word and be honored with him. And I'll read the scripture that proves that just so you think I'm not trying to steal God's glory. I'm not he doesn't share his glory, but you can stand by the one being honored. You can stand by the one being glorified. Or you can be with the crowd like that other thief and say, I don't know how you're going to do this either. They're, they're right. This is ridiculous. You've blown it, God. It's in John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will want that i don't want to be that guy on the other side of the cross saying yeah right good i want to stand beside him and say man woe was you what was you you think you've got me you think you finally put me in a tough spot to where i can't get out and that god can't help me as the world mocks and laughs and says he saved others let him save himself i want to be like that other guy saying man you guys shouldn't be saying that stuff to him And as he was raised from the dead, Jesus, so was this guy, this other thief. Because he believed him. I want to be that. They had the opportunity. They didn't take it. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. You're embarrassing yourselves, Moses says, be quiet. Watch what God'll do. You're jumping the gun, you're making an assumption. You think there's no hope. You don't realize who you're dealing with. This is the God of the world of the universe. He he runs everything. He brought me here for this purpose. Watch what's going to happen. Now, I don't know why Moses didn't share this with everybody. I mean, God specifically at the beginning of this chapter spoke to Moses and told him his plan. Would have been nice to pass that on. Okay, now he's going to take us into a tough spot. The Egyptians are going to come, just so you know, but it's okay. He's going to get us out of it. Might have helped. Now, I don't want to second guess Moses. Maybe he did tell him. It just isn't documented here. I want to tell you. That's why we do what we do up here. That's why we teach in any Sunday school classroom or any time anybody's up here is we want you to know. God says, I want you to know me. I want you to know what I'm going to do. And I want you to see me fulfill it. I want you to walk by faith. Don't be afraid, Moses says. Don't blow your witness. Don't be scurrying around. Oh, oh God, we look stupid. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Why are you crying out to me? Did you not see the 10 plagues? <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool when everybody else was in darkness and only you guys had light. You remember that? Remember when all the cattle died and yours didn't? You remember all the times where the frogs and none, you know, you guys had to deal with that stuff? I made a distinction. I want you to see that. Why are you crying out to me? And as a Christian, as someone who follows Jesus, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed when I do that. Oh, God are you crying out? Because I think you're going to blow it finally. Say that out loud. It sounds stupid when you say it out loud. I'm sorry, God. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. You don't see that very often in the Bible. What are we supposed to do before we do anything? Seek the Lord, right? Pray. Why are you crying out to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. You don't need to be praying. You don't need to be asking me anything right now. You don't need to be wondering about things. You need to go forward. You need to move. You need to do it. We're going to the promised land. You don't need to ask anything else. I'm going to take you there. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they're going to follow you. So I will gain honor. Over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, his horsemen, then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Again, repeating why we're doing what we're doing. God, take my life and let it be consecrated unto thee. As a Christian, we say that. Great. Now, I'm going to put you in some really tough spots. And you're going to walk by faith and believe me, and the rest of the world's going to see it, and we're going to team up. Boom. Or you're going to freak out and run around in circles. I'm going to, oh, okay, well, I'm going to get him out of it anyway and bring on her. And he, she looked ridiculous. Some scriptures Judges 6 36 through 40. So Gideon said to God, I understand fleeces, I understand the purpose of this, but I want to tie this scripture in with what we just read about you know what? Quit crying out to me and go forward. God had called Gideon for a purpose. He wanted him to do it, and him alone. You don't need any buddies, any pals, any friends. I will be your strength and your right arm. So, Gideon said to God, "If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, if look, I I shall I'm going to read it this way because that's how I feel about it. I'm sorry." I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand as you have said. In other words, you're not going to believe God unless the unless the cloth is wet? Mm-hmm. And so, when he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung out the dew of the fleece, bowl full of water. Are we good yet? Not yet, <laughs> says Gideon. God, do not be angry with me, which means he knows he shouldn't be doing it. Don't be angry. Why? Because I know you don't like it when people challenge you and doubt you and aren't sure that you mean what you say you say. Don't be angry with me. But let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece and on the ground be wet and God did so that night. and It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. All right. I understand fleeces, and it's a thing that Christians just use far too often. I'm sorry. Far too often. I want to get to the place where I'm in my cave, beard down to my knees, ladies, hair down to your toes, and God says, come out of the cave and tell them it's not going to rain. And we walk out and say, no rain, and we go back in. If you really want me to say that, God, I'm going to lay these rocks out here. And if they're rearranged in the morning, okay. I mean, at one point, and it's such a beautiful scripture, and I've taken it to to heart from the very beginning when I first trusted Jesus for my salvation. He says, I want to guide you with my eye. And that jumped off the page, spoke to my heart. I want to guide you with my eye. In other words, I'm just sitting there looking at him. He looks over here. And I'm like, what are you looking at? I'm going to go over there. We're going to do that. I want to be that guy. I have a dog that actually whines and cries every morning. If I don't take a tennis ball, sit on my front porch and throw it about 10,000 times, I'm on my phone. That's just what I do in the morning. I'm sitting there and all of a sudden they're sitting there. You know, I, sometimes I throw it too far, whatever, it was, constantly. That dog is just watching the ball. I want to be that with Jesus. He doesn't expect me. He doesn't call me a dog. He calls me a friend, but I want to be like, "What are we doing today?" And he wanted him to look over there and say, "That person. All right, <laughs> you know, that's what I want to do. He's so great. He's so loving. He's my best friend. He's the love of my life. He knows everything. He's always led me the right way. He's never failed me once. If that's where he wants to go that day, that is the absolute best place for me to be that day. I have no doubt in my mind. That's not what I had scheduled. I got a fleece I want to lay out before. Nah, just go talk to him. Exodus 4, 13 through 14. But he said, this is Moses. Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. And the Lord was anger. It was kindled against Moses. You remember that scene? We just read it. Time after time, Moses says, I don't know how to talk very well. Fine, I'm going to let Aaron do it. I don't think they're going to believe me. Do the leprosy thing. Make the stick turn into a snake thing. And then finally he gets to the place that's really in his heart. I don't want to go. I don't really want to do this. Pick somebody else. And God got mad. He said, I don't want to do that. Even Jesus in the New Testament, Luke chapter 9, verse 41, said this, Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. He documents that not only in Luke, but also in Matthew and Mark, the same situation. Jesus got tired of people not believing. What is it that I've done that causes you not to believe? Was it the 5,000 that I fed with two fish and five loaves, or five loaves and two fish? Did that cause you to doubt me and my ability and my powers? Maybe it was when I raised that little girl up from the dead. Did that throw you for a loop and you thought maybe I wasn't able to do this stuff? What is it that I've done that caused it? How about fishing, Peter? When you couldn't find anything all night long and I said, cast your net on the other side of the boat, literally a six-foot difference, and you couldn't even pull them all in. What is it about me that is untrustworthy, Jesus would say to any one of us? Nothing. Of course you're trustworthy. And don't be unbelieving, he says. John chapter 20, verse 20, said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it to my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Believe me. Verse 19. And the angel of God who's that, capital A, capital G, that's Jesus in the Old Testament, the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus, it was a cloud of darkness to the one, the Egyptians, and it gave light by night to the other, the Israelites, so that one, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Egyptians are like, where'd they go? And the Israelites are like, why are they not attacking? Well, Because Jesus is right there protecting you. I will be your guard. I'll be your rear guard, your forward guard. I'll be your defense. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, they're brave. Let's catch up to him. Really? Into the parted waters that got, okay, that they did. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians, and he took off their chariot wheels, so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Can we go back yet? God always provides a way of escape. I can't go forward. I can't go to my right, to my left. The enemy's behind me. How am I going to get out of this? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. There's always a way out. You just can't see it sometimes, but if you walk with the Lord, he is always going to provide a way out for you. Verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters may come back upon the Egyptians on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. then their waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. not so much as one of them remained, but the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on to the left and on the left I 'll be your defense isaiah 52 twelve for you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. I got this. Psalm 62, 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my desire. I shall not be moved, he says. And finally, Paul says in Acts 20, 22 through 24 And see. Now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things which will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. None of these things move me. There's a Red Sea there's an Egyptian army. There's a mountain. We don't have any water. We don't have enough food. We don't have this, that, other thing. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. God will be our defense. He'll be our offense, too. See, the first thing was, how am I going to get out of this? I'll just put my cloud back here and the fire back here, so I'll, I'll protect you what's my offense? Well, I'm just going to pull the waters over your enemies and they're not going to be a problem anymore. You'll never see them again. Every single one of those guys died. Every single one of them. God took care of their enemies completely. All they had to do was walk in his ways to follow him. It's a beautiful thing. And to finish. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Lesson learned, right? How's this going to happen? How's this going to work? Oh. Oh, it did. And they feared the Lord. God wants to train us up. He wants to teach us. And as we are new believers, these things need to happen. We need to learn and see him step up on our behalf and see him do that and he'll do that for us but eventually like paul things get a little tougher you might get beat down you might have to go to corinth and get a break but you're going to go back out there again yet the world hated me jesus says they're going to hate you so expect that peter and his wife were crucified upside down they died the martyrs are unbelievable their stories prophets sawn in half there's a reason that it's It's not that I'm going to keep you protected. You're going to have a perfect life. It's that you're going to walk the walk I told you to walk, and you will accomplish everything I want you to accomplish in the process. And in the process of you giving your life for me because I gave my life for you, you're going to walk this walk, and you're going to bring me glory. You're going to stand beside me. That's a promise. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us and that you show us these things. New Testament truths, you give us Old Testament pictures like this to see it. God, help us not to doubt. Help us to be believing and not unbelieving. Help us to trust you when your word tells us what's going to happen, that we believe it with all of our heart, and we walk like it's going to happen. Thank you for these encouragements, Lord, that you send us. And maybe a rebuke here and there, a little a swat on the rear to get us back in line. And, and that's okay, too. That's how we know you're, we're yours. Um, if we weren't yours, you wouldn't care, but you do. You want us to grow. You want us to walk with you. You want us to be more faithful, to walk closer to you, trusting you more, and we want that too. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week, guys.